Welcome back to the NBA show on the Mojo Sports Network. I am your host, Alexander J. With me, the three regulars, Yuri Bilsic from Perth and Julian Balthazar, Tom Dev, both out of Melbourne. Tom, thanks for joining us after your return from being uh, stateside for a couple of NBA games. How are you, mate? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while, but uh, I, I, I thought, I said to myself, I thought out of respect to Jack, I wouldn't come back on until the Pistons <laughs> won again. And um, I didn't anticipate it would take a month, but I'm glad to be back finally. <laughs> Jules, how are you, mate? Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Uh, welcome back, Tom. I can't wait to talk basketball today with three very knowledgeable blokes. Yeah, we had last week off for Christmas, and there's just been too much to cover in those two-week periods. Uh, Yuri, how are you, mate? How was your Christmas? Alex, thank you for having me on, as always. And it was great. It was really good just to relax a fair bit, decompress, and so much hoops action that's been going on, especially the Christmas Day games were pretty good to watch in a way as well so especially one particular Miami Heat player in his rookie year who's basically propelling himself into the rookie of the year conversation you could well say so it was really good and again we talk about with the conferences and how close it's been and the Pacers have sort of steadied the ship again winning their last three games including today's win over the New York Knicks so it's really tight and tussling at the moment which is really good on both sides of the ledger so can't wait. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram at Alexander J Sports, a shameless plug, you'll know my holiday period was a bit interesting. I had a snake in my hotel room a couple of days ago that scared the crap out of me as I was drunk. Jamie. Julian or Tom, anything interesting happen over your Christmas? Can't can't say anything like a, a snake or anything like that. But no, just lots of family and friends time and being a bit busy. But yeah, I mean, you always find time to watch a bit of basketball here and there. Yeah, Jules, exactly nothing right. Report. Yep. No, nothing. Same. Lots of food, lots of NBA over the break. All right. Well, we are recording on December 31st, which means from tomorrow. It's a brand new year, potentially a new start for a number of teams. And our first segment today is our NBA New Year's resolution. Now, Tom, uh, I'm going to pick on you because you've been away for a month. Moving into next year, do you have one or two NBA resolutions you'd like to solidify and put out into the atmosphere in words? Yeah, no, the first the first one's mainly just for my health and uh, well-being, but it's just, just not to get too emotionally involved in the Celtics playoff run again. But, uh, you know, in the last two playoff runs, I've endured four seven-game series. I've gotten up twice at 5 a.m. to watch uh, Game 7s. I've had irreversible mental damage caused at the hands of Max Struess, <laughs> Gabe Vincent, and Caleb Martin. And I've blown a considerable amount of my savings on uh, finals tickets last year. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be a grown, a grown adult, you know, I, I really shouldn't let how well five other men can put a ball in a basket dictate my mood and, and life plans. Uh, but that being said, it's it's going to happen again. I just know it's going to happen. And, you know, for you guys, I guess it provides good content for the podcast. I mean, I you know, I still don't actually re- remember recording that podcast after the Derek White buzzer beater, but I'm sure you guys enjoyed me having an emotional breakdown. But let's see what happens this playoff run. Maybe, maybe this is the year they make my life easy. It was a classic. Um, thank you for that moment for sacrificing your mental health. We wish you the best of luck. But I have a sneaking suspicion the Celtics might even go all the way this year, Tom. So good luck holding yourself to that resolution. What about you, Jules? Do you have an NBA New Year's resolution? I do. So I have scheduled a trip to America in February um, and late March as well. So I am very keen to go to an NBA game. So that is my resolution. I get tickets to a couple of those. So um, I'll be landing in LA around mid-February. So I'll be looking at the Clippers and Lakers fixture. And my second resolution is to watch more of Wembenyama. I think uh, the Spurs games tend to be around 2 o'clock, which is a time that I can't usually watch. But I think we're witnessing a 7-foot-3, is it, you know, first-year player at work. I just can't wait to watch more of his games and, you know, witness the greatness that he is. 
Actually, he's had a, a not a bad week himself, Wimbu. We might get to that later in the show. Yuri, any New Year's resolution, uh, resolutions front of mind for you? I think come the playoffs for the Bucks again, hopefully we don't run into the Miami Heat because that's been too many bridges that have just sort of... We've stopped at the hurdle against them and for the last, what, since the 2020 playoffs, right, we at least able to exact, exact some payback on them in the 2021 playoffs by sweeping them in the first round. But hopefully don't stumble into, into them again because... If we do finish the second seed and hopefully if they say they play Orlando in the first round, for example, and they get knocked out, that may make the team's life a little bit easier. So hopefully that's a resolution come to playoffs, which is still, of course, four months away, under four months. And I think the other one too is probably just a bit more competitiveness, I reckon, from the lower teams as well. You think what the Pistons were able to, to do today to at least break that 28-game losing streak. The Charlotte Hornets have lost their last 10 games. The Washington Wizards are 5-25. and 25. And the Spurs haven't been too bad in a way, even though, yes, they're 5-25, and 25, their record is putrid. And the Portland Trailblazers can be competitive here and there. So just hopefully that bridge at least closes a little bit, which would be nice because you don't want to see predictable results night in night out especially those bottom teams that are going to be in the lottery come mid-may when the ping pong balls do go into action so hopefully that's something to look forward to as well and we can see just a little bit of a lessening of the disparity between the top teams and the bottom teams which have little or less to play for in a way as well my resolution's a little bit along the lines of Tom is to try and disconnect my emotions he's going in success as the Celtics hopefully make a push I'm going the other way. The Raptors, I think, uh, I wrote this in the doc yesterday before there was a trade occurring this morning, which we'll get to in a second. They have to blow it up. They're directionless. I think they've made some mistakes. Roster building, they got a rookie head coach. None of that is bad in isolation, but the way the talent in the league is, you think, okay, maybe bottom out for a year, see if you can restock, build around Scotty Barnes, get some other picks from places. I just need to disconnect my Raptors fandom. I'm wearing a jersey at the moment. We lost today against the Detroit Pistons. Like, I, I'm just going to have to take some L's for the rest of the season. We had a championship a couple of years ago. I just remember those days fondly. And I might stick with one more resolution, and then I'll ask you guys a question. Have you been watching any Phoenix Suns basketball because I don't care for them and I refuse to watch another game for the rest of the year until it's the playoffs? Up until this week, they had wins against, um, I think it was Charlotte and Houston. So uh, not so great teams. Houston, all right. But before that, they won a three-win, nine-loss game slide. That's mostly with Kevin Durant and mostly with uh, Devin Booker. I just don't care about this team until it's playoffs. We know they've got the weapons. We know what KD can do. We know what Devin Booker can do. I don't believe in Bradley Beal at this age of his career with injuries. I put it to you guys. Have you watched a lot of or any Phoenix Suns basketball in the last couple of weeks? And what are your thoughts on that final resolution? Yeah, watched a fair bit, Alex, of Phoenix. And I think the biggest thing for them, and we talked about a couple of episodes ago with Frank Vogel, this is probably the roster where he's had probably the least defensive-minded players on the team, which is pretty sort of not gut-wrenching in a way too, but it's a lot of ironing to sort of sort of slide over the cracks a bit, I think, for the team as well. And we've seen them just leak points in pretty bad bunches as well. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing because in- interior-wise, they don't have any real prim- like shot blockers in the way too with Nurkic and Drew Eubanks, who backs him up as the backup center. And so, so much of that has to really go down to Kevin Durant, who really sort of transformed into a really good shot blocker when he was at Golden State. And leaving a pond to him is probably bridge too much as well for the Suns and I think come March if they're still in the playing spot at 
that particular stage is that it's sort of you don't really want to put all your eggs in one basket and be in that position because it's basically one and done. If they finish either ninth or tenth in the West and then get knocked out in the first in that first whatever elimination game, then it's an absolutely abysmal failure in the way for a team that's predicted to win what between fifty and fifty-two games this season. I don't think it would really be any good whatsoever. The other part to it as well is the whole lineup adjustments, right? They've tinkered around so much with their starting five. Of course, Devin, Mook, Devin Booker missed about eight games that sprained ankle. I think Durant's missed about three this season as well, and that's only been a minor injury too. And Bradley Bill, of course, we all know that serious back injury he had at the start of the season, and of course, missed those handful of games with a sprained ankle when he accidentally stepped on Dante V. DiVincenzo's ankle in their loss to New York Knicks. So they've only played two times together, the big three of them. And although they did combine for 62 points, they're still, I think the offensive side of things is never going to be the issue. It's what they can do defensively as well for long stretches of time. And this is the big thing as well. I think what Frank Vogel's done the last handful of games is he's brought in Chimezi Metu, who's been a really solid contributor for them on both ends of the floor. Just something a little bit different in the way that the Suns do need. And the other part too as well, the three-point shooting, they don't take a lot of threes, even though they're, they're very good in terms of three-point percentage as well, roughly around 37%, which is exceptional in today's league. But most of it consists of mid-range jumpers, right? Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. You look at, I think, the last, say, eight to 10 games with KD, and his three-point attempts are way down than usual. And I think it's a lot more to do with, well, I think we just want to try and not defy convention with how we want to play, but it's more the fact that we're so comfortable taking mid-range jumpers and we'll live by it where everyone else has sort of deferred away from that for the last handful of seasons. But I think to tie it in as a whole for the Phoenix Suns is, what are they at this stage, about 15 and 15 or something, or 16, 15 roughly at this stage of the season and sort of treading 500 at this stage probably isn't where they wanted to be. And although there's still a long way to go in the season, just... There's still a lot more defensive adjustments they need to figure out before they really start propelling themselves amongst what is always a competitive Western Conference. You know, the the, the funny thing I see when you look at this uh, Phoenix situation is, you know, Kevin Durant made his bed and now he has to lie in it. I mean, there's a world in which he re-signs with Golden State in 2019 and basically they probably just win every title when he gets back from that Achilles injury. Instead, he goes to Brooklyn, hitches his wagon to Kyrie, goes absolutely pear-shaped. Now he's demanded the trade to Phoenix. Now they have zero assets to trade because they've gotten rid of everything for him and now Bradley Beal. It's not working out fantastically. And, you know, there was that report during the week that Woj said Durant's not happy. I, I can't believe that this is happening yet again. He can't really go anywhere, but it'll be interesting to see how this Phoenix you know team plays out. And, you know, I was there. I was fortunate enough to be in the building earlier in the month when they played Denver without Booker or Beal. And the atmosphere, the crowd, they love this team, but they, they just... They're kind of getting a bit sick of guys, you know, not playing or not being available and just, you know, the the lack of cohesion within the group. I mean, this is what year three now where no one's really, you know, they haven't had the same starting five throughout a whole season. So we'll see what happens. You have to assume they're going to make the playoffs, but I don't know. This might be the last draw for Durant. Yuri, you talked about them tinkering with the lineup a lot, and I watch a lot of Phoenix games as well. And what I notice about them when they tinker the lineup is they also tinker their playmakers and their strategy. Like you look at Durant, he was not so long ago getting, you know, four, three, maybe two, even a game where he had two assists. And then all of a sudden he had seven assists, 16 assists, and then 11. 
in a game. And it just goes to show, like, they're moving around who handles the ball a lot. And the good teams, I find, like the Denver Nuggets, you know, Jokic always controls the ball. Phoenix Sun, uh, not Phoenix Sun, sorry, Philadelphia 76ers, you see it with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. Like, the stats and prop markets always fluctuate, but not this much. It goes to the extreme where, like, one game, you know, Eric Gordon is not taking any shots, and then he comes out to the media and says, I'm not shooting enough, and then he gets 14 points, 21 points, and 27 points, I think, something like that. So I don't think they have their set formula on how to win games, and that's really concerning watching them because it's so different and so inconsistent. Yeah, I think the other thing today as well, you nailed it perfectly on the head, Julian, is the fact that they don't have another sort of... Well, the point guard, of course, they trade away is Chris Paul, right? Mm. Having that sort of backup point guard with really good floor vision, right? They've got basically... I think it's Archie Goodwin who's been the backup point guard for the Suns this... Oh, Jordan Goodwin, should I say? Sorry, not yep. Archie Goodwin. Jordan Goodwin. And he's been a solid contributor, right? Frank Vogel's instilled a fair amount of trust in him, right, to just play really solid defense. And he's done that. I and mean, having watched a fair bit of when he's on the floor with the second unit as well, that's what he provides. And that's something they really sort of lack in spades, the Suns. And when you have guys like Nasir Little as well, who's a very good defensive player too, you think they'll at least take just that extra little more strides, I think, as well, and really cut down on giving up 100 15, 120 points a night on a regular basis as well and thinking they're going to outshoot opponents, which, yeah, can work from time to time. And perimeter shooting-wise is something that they haven't really had an issue with, apart from I think there's a handful of games there where I think one game they only shot about 5 of 23. They only took 23 three-point attempts, right? And they basically rank, what, bottom eight in the league for three-point attempts, even though their three-point field goal percentage is exceptional, right? So... Mm. I think they're probably going to stick to that formula. And it's the same thing as well as they did when Monty Williams was the head coach. They all stuck with mid-range jumpers, right? And the free-throw line was, yeah, they didn't really attack as much. But so far, what we've seen, not just with the Phoenix Suns this month, but all 30 teams, right? They're getting to the free-throw line with such regularity, right? And they're taking 25 to 33, should I say, free-throw attempts per game, right? And this is where I think people sort of prick curiosity in terms of, oh, why has the free-throw numbers gone up, right? When we've seen probably the last couple of seasons that have gone by, they've been so down because teams have just want to jack up threes, which has always been the case for the last six, seven seasons. So it's something just to point out there, but it's it's a really fascinating point as well, especially the point guard spots with every single team. And that's what, from a Milwaukee Bucks standpoint as well, when Damian Lillard goes off the floor, they've got campaign. And campaign's mm-hmm. basically a guy that can push tempo when... Lillard, yes, he can push tempo always, but Cam also has this different dimension that he brings to the floor as well, which basically can push transition 94 feet. That's like with Philadelphia of Tyrese Maxey. And when he goes off the floor, it's Pat Beverly. Those two have different complements, which basically align to the team's strengths. And I think that's where with Phoenix, right? Devin Booker's what, averaging 8.2 assists, which is a career high from him. And he's basically played shooting guard right throughout his career. But again, because they haven't had that sort of floor orchestrator of a point guard where it's left onto him. We've seen Bradley Bill do it when he was at Washington, right? When John Wall went down midway through that 2017-18 season with the arthroscopic knee surgery, his assist numbers went up. Even 2018-19, his assist numbers were about six, I think, at that point, which was a career high, even when Wall went down with that Achilles injury. So they've got facilitators there, the Suns. It's just the, in- the intriguing part is, though, how much is it going to really pushed them as well in terms of just providing a little bit of unpredictability on the offensive end. 
Spot on. And I don't want to discredit Durant's game as well. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 16 assists. Like, that's a fantastic triple-double in stat line. For me, it's just a space to watch if it's a red flag when teams start to have major fluctuations in their stat lines and who controls the ball. I think the top teams, as I said earlier, they generally have consistency in who handles the balls and their stats are quite um, similar. Whereas that one, it, it just screams to me that the Suns don't know what their offensive strategy is to win games. And that is a big red flag or something to watch at least. So, yeah, interesting. All right, thanks for having me back, guys. I disappeared there for a second. So, <laughs> excellent conversation. We'll move right on to the Raptors and Knicks trade that occurred this morning, December 31st in uh, Australia Pacific time. Um, Jules, I might throw straight back to you because this was, at first glance, a win-win trade. Uh, not many of them around the league. The Raptors traded away OG and Anobi, um, you know, who could have got three or four first-round picks from him last year. He's an expiring at the end of this year. Uh, Malachi Flynn also goes to the deal along with center Precious Achua. As a Raptors guy, I think uh, neither Malachi or Precious were worth much to the Raptors. Malachi's been better uh, in the, the second 15 games as 30-game spin, but didn't start the year really hot. It may have gone under the radar, but you're all NBA sickos. OG Ananobi's agent is the president of the Knicks' son, so there's probably a bit of a wink-wink there that he'll sign an extension. He's been on record in the media at the end of last year even saying he would consider taking less money than a max to secure a, a long-term placement deal in a market like New York. So maybe that's what you think is happening there. And in response, the Knicks trade away, RJ Barrett. I was very surprised the Raptors managed to get the Canadian back. Uh, I think he's either in his fourth year, Yuri, third or fourth year rookie. Uh, I think he's fifth year, fifth year. My apologies. I thought he was good to great in the FIBA World Cup warm-up games and in the FIBA World Cup. And Emmanuel Quickly, who um, great off the bench. Uh, We get a Detroit 2024 second rounder, so it's probably the 31st pick based on how bad they've been this year. Jules. What's your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to hear all of your thoughts as well, actually, but I will kick it off. I, I, firstly, I thought it was a very like-for-like trade when I first looked at it, and I thought, what, what the? They are so similar. Both small forward or shooting guards, they can play. Both have the ability to knock down a three-pointer. Um, you know, OG's in his seventh season. He's played 395 games. RJ Barrett's in his fifth season. He's played 297 games. Both first-round picks. Obviously, OG was pick 23, and RJ was pick three. Uh, I, I don't know. I think... The Raptors win this purely because of Emmanuel quickly. I think he's going to bring a lot of offensive power to the Raptors that they need off the bench. And I don't think he's unlocked his serious potential. And last year, he was round, was he runner-up in the sixth man of the year award. And I think, yeah, like Dennis Schroeder's obviously a good player and he's shown that his ability to score. But I think quickly, the ability to knock down a three-pointer off the bench and add a spark off both ends and that pace that he brings would be really vital to the Raptors. But then I was thinking, I was watching the Knicks against Magic and I watched the Knicks against the Pacers and I don't think that OG Ananobi is the answer to their problems, unfortunately. I think he's a fantastic player. He's a two-way player and he's, he probably is going to see his numbers go up a little bit um, playing at the Knicks. But I don't know. I think they need support for Brunson and Randall. They're becoming too isolated, those players, when they, and they're, they're getting used to scoring 20-plus points a game, the two of them. And it, they look very stagnant on offense. When if, I mean, the two of them are playing great basketball at the moment, but... They're not winning games. So I think they need more offensive support. I don't know if Ananobi does that. I feel like he's they kind of got that in Josh Hart a little bit already. Uh, I don't know. I'd keen to hear what you guys think. But I personally think the Raptors have won in this trade just looking into the, the quickly exchange. So, yeah. But you, you're a Raptors fan, Alex. You probably know more than me about the Raptors. I, I think it's a great deal for the Raptors. And I think for what the Knicks want, it's okay. But it's interesting you mentioned Josh Hart. I had the same thought as... OG, if he's your fourth best player as a connector, I think you're doing great. But if you 
bring him on the Knicks right now. He's probably the third best player. You're still messing at a bit of an offensive weapon. I mean, Jalen Brunson's been out of his mind at times this year, so maybe you don't need another weapon. Julius Randle improving from an awful start to the season as well. I, it does confuse me. On the surface, it's a win-win. I don't know mm-hmm. why the Knicks gave up on Emmanuel quickly, and maybe this is the Raptors yeah. going, we will rebuild, we'll take on, we'll push. You can have Precious as a backup C. You know, Isaiah Hartenstein can't play 48 minutes a game at the moment. They've got Mitchell Robinson out with injury. Tom, what do you think? I've, I've, I'm a little bit confused as well, but I think it's a good trade for both. Yeah, I, I was just surprised that it happened now. I thought it was going to happen at the deadline and, you know, it'd sort of be... <laughs> oh, exactly. You always got to find an excuse when you lose to Detroit. Don't worry. I was riding them out uh, between, you know, end of regulation and overtime in that Celtics game. I, I might have actually canceled coming on the pod if we'd lost to that one. So you're all good on that front. But no, look... It's an interesting trade. Uh, you know, on the point of OG Ananobi versus Josh Hart on a defensive standpoint, I, I saw you know the Knicks in Boston, and it was a close enough game that the Knicks were in reach. And basically, you know, Tatum just went enough of this. Get me the switch. Get hard on me. And he literally just shot over the top of him. I think he got a four point play. He got you know down on the post and just shot directly above him. And everyone in the crowd was get hard on Tatum. So Anobi will be able to you know give those sort of wings a bit more of a challenge. But look, I think instead of looking at who won the trade, uh, look at the East as an overall because the point of making a trade in the NBA is to make yourself better or to make yourself so worse that you bottom out. And the Knicks obviously aren't trying to do the latter. They're trying to do the former. And so can the Knicks really make a playoff run here and are they actually a threat? Because, you know, we know the Celtics, Bucks are sort of in that tier A, then the Sixers supposedly right behind them and then there's a rest. But I'll go through each of the teams and, you know, you look at Boston, they look great. They're you know a bit shaky in the last couple of days with injuries, but if you if you think you can trust them in the playoffs, you don't you don't know basketball. It's just it's just a fact. You can't you can't trust them. They're going to make life hard on them. Someone will fall and hurt themselves, and they'll play through an injury. Porzingis, honestly, probably our most important player. He's you know constantly got this calf issue now. He's had knee issues. You can't trust him. You can't say it's a sure thing. You know it's not like last year with Jokic. You, you just can't. The Bucks, similar sort of sense. I mean, Middleton's sort of still coming back from that injury. He's nowhere near what he was. Uh, and as we've seen in previous years, they're one Giannis injury away from turning from a championship contender to a first round, second round exit. So they're, you know, on thin ice. You never really know what will happen with them. Sixers are just a playoff choker. I, until Embiid proves otherwise, I can't trust them. Um, the Heat, I mean, they could go on a run or they could get knocked out in round one. No one really knows. Orlando, they're young, but they're inexperienced. So are you really trusting them to make a playoff run? And the Cavs, they just look worse this year. Mitchell's nowhere near as what he was. Uh, Mobley injured. Allen not doing well. Um, and look, while they'll need Randall to play in an all-NBA level for four rounds and Brunson to average basically 30 and 10 assists, it's, it's not crazy to suggest that they could get to the conference finals, but I still have them way behind the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers. But look, the move has made them better in my opinion. And, you know, I mean, I'd be interested to see what happens in the playoffs. And I think they've got one more move in them still. I don't think this is going to be their final roster. I don't think you make this move to, you know, settle it for the playoffs. I I think they've got something up their sleeve and we'll have to probably wait until the deadline. But I'm interested to see what they make of uh, the rest of the the season. Yeah, what what do you think, Yuri? Yeah, I think as well, really surprised by the way the trade went down too. I think for Nick's standpoint having OG Adenobi, and might draw similar parallels and may be wrong in this, but Luau Deng type of player, six foot nine, long arms, can cover the floor really well, is really switchable too. You can play OG 
as a in the power forward spot as well. And come those matchups, if they do play the Boston Celtics, say in the conference semifinals, that that could well be a potential realm because we'll see what the Celtics have done. Right, they can play big with Horford and Porzingis. We haven't seen it sort of in big bunches this season, of course, because they've either had, of course, with Horford coming off the bench and KP to five. They have that flexibility, Boston. The other thing with the Knicks as well, they also have flexibility by going small ball, which Tibbs has sort of has embraced the last three seasons by playing hard to the three. He's become a better, better shooter. He's an exceptional rebounder for a guy his size. OG's a very solid rebounder too. You play him at the four and you have either Hartenstein or when Mitch Robinson comes back, from his ankle injury, you can play, of course, him at centre. And you have Brunson and DiVincenzo because Quinton Grimes is now basically coming off the bench because Tibbs basically pulled a move within the rotation to sort of add a little bit more shooting, I think, in a way too because Grimes was in a bit of a form slump with his shooting numbers, especially from three-point territory. So that's a real sort of intriguing part for the Knicks as well as part of this trade and how it goes down. Well, time will tell too. I think the other part as well for the New York Knicks getting Precious Achua back in the trade as well, is he was sold for Miami a few seasons ago and then sort of lost his way a bit within the Raptors' rotation too. And I think this is the big part as well because we've seen Tibbs over the years, right? Even when he was at the Chicago Bulls and he basically have a set rotation, right? He'll play starters. He'll blast them out 35-plus minutes a night and doesn't matter whether it's on the back-to-back too. He'll just absolutely grind his starters. I think the biggest part with Tibbs as well, again, the last couple of seasons, is he's embraced in terms of being more flexible with using his second unit. And that's the real, I think, sort of learning part with Tibbs, which he's got absolutely spot on. And say, come to playoffs as well, even a regular season game, right? If Mitchell Robinson gets in foul trouble, if Isaiah Hartenstein gets in foul trouble, well, the third man on the next run is going to be Precious Achua. And again, if he provides some solid defense, rebounding, all those things that Tibbs really sort of harnesses down on every single one of his players, well, he may well carve a spot. But at this stage, though, he's probably the third man in the pecking order mm. in terms of the centre position. And as for Raptors, too, with Quickly and Barrett, and it was mentioned, too, because Barrett's only, what, 23, Quickly's only 24. I think, as Alex well pointed out, too, the direction of the Raptors franchise come the trade deadline is still sort of murky in a way, too, because we don't know exactly what they may do because what what are they now 12 and 20 on the season I think they've lost the seven Correct. of their last 10 games and yep. even though Pascal Siakam had a monstrous game today especially in that second half when he was just wheeling and dealing his way to the paint against the the Pistons defense especially when Jalen Duran was on the bench it's it's very unclear at this stage for Raptors because it's been such a long time since they've been in a rebuilding stage right it was the early 2010s before they made that trade with the Sacramento Kings, which brought them back Grievous Vasquez and traded away Rudy Gay. And they are about, I think, 6-14 and 14 at that point and they ended up winning 48 games to finish number three in the Eastern Conference. Not saying that it's got to happen like that, but some trades end up being a real kicker to really galvanize, in a way, a team's season. That's my worry, but, Yuri. Yeah. That is my absolute worry that this is the only move they'll make and they'll still be 11th or 12th come the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, when you've got a rookie like Scotty Barnes, who I wasn't a believer until earlier this year, he's been incredible. You've still got Pascal Siakam, uh, could make his way to a third-team All-NBA. Again, great performance again today. Both of those guys aren't enough to get you across the line, even with how good RJ Barrett's looked in international play, even with how good Emmanuel Quickly's looked in the six-man role, with how much talent is in the league right now. I don't think there's much harm in trying to see what you can get for Gary Trent Jr. or maybe somebody else you don't have 
much of a future with. That's my worry is this is the only move they're making, and that's why they're making it early so they can build chemistry towards the end of the season. The Raptors are 12th, as you mentioned. Um, the Knicks before today was 7th, but they got leapfrogged by Indiana. They still have a winning record at 17-15, but I don't know. I don't feel great that Masai wants to blow it up. He should, and... I don't know. Am I wrong? Like these are great pieces. Get rid of, get some more assets. We've still got first round picks. It's a mm. weak draft class this year, which is maybe impacting the decision. I'm not sure. I don't think we're. Look at the teams above them. So, in 15th, 14th, and 13th, you've got Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit. I think we're better than all those teams. But these are the teams above them. The Atlanta Hawks. That's a team who needs to make a trade themselves. The Chicago Bulls. I don't think we're any better than them at 10th. Brooklyn Nets at ninth. I don't think we're any better than them. The New York Knicks at eight are miles better than the Raptors have been. I don't think there's much chance here of us doing anything. Yeah, I think the Bulls' standpoint as well. They've, I think they're what five and fourteen early in the season, and they've gone on somewhat of a bit of a tear in the way, and especially with Zach Levine being out due to that sort of stress fracture. I think inflammation in his foot, which he's been dealing with, and they sort of really embraced in terms of utilising a lot more of the guys have sort of taken a while to really sort of flourish. Like Patrick Williams, right, his last month has been exceptional too. He's had a fair handful of 20-point games as well and has really found his niche within the offence. And although Nikola Vucevic is, I think, going to be out at least for an extended period of time, I think it's an abdominal strain or something like that, oblique, something like that, which he sustained, and Andre Drummond. And we talked about it right before with Andre Drummond. <laughs> his reduced minutes, right, Julian? And he sort of was only playing 13, 14 minutes. And you sort of ponder and scratch your head thinking, this is a guy that was an absolute monster rebound in Detroit. He would constantly have 20-point, 20 20-rebound 20 games. And even like the 2015-16 season, he was just swallowing boards up for fun. <laughs> There's a spot for big men like him still in today's league, right, where they all say that, oh, the big men – are sort of dying. They need to stretch the floor and shoot threes. Well, guess what? At the start of the season, Darvin Ham said Anthony Davis needs to shoot six threes a game. Well, he's only taking about one and a half or something like that, three-pointers a game this season. Even Joel Embiid. Embiid doesn't take eight three-pointers a game. Jokic doesn't take eight three-pointers a game. He takes like, what, two and a half, three a game, and he's probably shooting the worst three-point shooting percentages in his career. But who cares about that, right? It's yeah. just the whole harnessing of emphasis on big men needing to stretch a four. Yes, Brooke Lopez takes four, five, three-pointers a game, but he shoots, what, 35 36% from three. So every big man has a different skill set, and Drummond's is no different, right? So there's always going to be a place for guys such as him, and especially him grabbing that many rebounds again, 23, and grabbing 25 against Atlanta in his first start since the news that Vucevic was going to be out through that injury. So it's a whole different dimension, and teams are... They've known for a long time since Drummond came into the league in 2012 that he's an absolute beast on the boards. It's just another for those teams that the Chicago Bulls play next they're going to have to contend with. Uh, Personally, just overall, I I do think this Raptors team just needs to blow it up. They need to get rid of Siakam. They they need to just finally hit the reset button. And having watched the Celtics-Raptors game yesterday, you know, Celtics were missing several key pieces. And, you know, besides running out of gas in the fourth uh, the Celtics were all over them um, and you know uh, not to uh, steal the hosting duties for a moment here from you Alex but uh, take up, take I'm, I'm going to have a going to have a smooth transition here because uh, I don't think it's too crazy to say that after yesterday's game Derek White uh, ended the Toronto Raptors as we know them and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie I looked at the, the run sheet a little earlier and I saw what Julian wanted to talk about and I'm very excited to talk about this man so I'll hand it off to you Julian 
Yeah, nice. If, if, if you don't mind, Alex, I'll jump straight into my uh, noteworthy news for the week, which is, and, and it's very publicised at the moment, so I'm not bringing up anything new, but it's it's been in the media. Is Derek White making a case for an all-star selection? And I certainly think he is. I just want to note down some of his stats. He's a career-high 17 points per game, career-high rebounds, almost career-high assists at 5.1, I believe it's around, career-high steals per game, career-high blocks per game, making a case for clutch plays, most improved player, he's, and he's also a career-high three-point percentage. Now, people might look at those stats and go, oh, 17 points a game, that's not a lot. Three-plus rebounds, that's not a lot. Five assists isn't a lot compared to the Trey Youngs and Halliburton's out there, which is true, but if you look into the stats a little bit more, you, you kind of realise, and you'll know this as a Celtics fan as well from watching the games, or anyone who's watched the Celtics games knows how, how crucial this guy is to the team, which is... Baffling considering at the start of the year you see the lineup of Pozingas, Holiday, Tatum, and Jalen Brown, and you go, Well, White's probably fifth in line there, but now he's suddenly the go to man in a sense. So, with um, Drew White, <laughs> Drew White, with Derek White in the team, he's 22 and 4, the Celtics are. So, they've only lost four games when he's in the lineup. They have outscored their opponents by 265 points when he's on the floor, which is third in the NBA behind Tyrese Maxey and Jokic, who will be in the All Star team. And he's second in the NBA. This is second in the whole NBA for points per direct touch. So basically every time he touches the ball, he's the second best player in the NBA at scoring. And then if, if that wasn't a good enough case for his offensive power, he's in the top 10 in the NBA in direct points allowed by his opponent and, and top 10 in field goals allowed by his opponents, wow. meaning that he's a two-way player, which is unbelievable. And then... To top it off, if I haven't made a strong enough case already, he's the only guard alongside Michael Jordan and George Gervin to block two shots in seven straight games. And I think he's going for the record. He knows it in the back what? of his mind. <laughs> it's a really weird stat. But yeah, he's, he's blocked uh, two shots or more in the last seven games straight. And if he does that for two more games, he will hold that record as a, a guard to block two or, uh, two or more shots in a game. So I personally think he'll get a lot of fan votes. He'll definitely be getting my vote. It's just if the... Uh, NBA selectors see that he has value over some of the other all-stars in the league, which are also having great years, I must say. I wholeheartedly believe with all my heart that he should be an all-star, but I want to touch on how silly it is that the Spurs got rid of him for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a pick that I think became Josh Primo. Yuri, tell me if that's wrong. There's a 2022 first-round pick. I can't remember exactly who that was. That's a big loss for the Spurs, too, for losing Derek White for that. So, uh, Tom, you can have it back. That's a great... Uh, he's been out of his mind. Every time I watch the Celtics, he's been the best player on the night, which is crazy. He, he Honestly, this Celtics team is just stacked. You can actually point to basically all five of our players and say they're the most important player because X, Y, Z. But D- Derek White at the moment, it's getting to the point where I'm watching these games and I'm going, get him off the bench. He needs to be playing because our lead suddenly goes from 15 to 8 and it's he's the guy who just holds it together. Drew Holiday's not even bothering bringing the ball up half the time now. He just gets it to Derek because he just makes the right plays. And it's funny, you know, in that finals against the Warriors, he couldn't play. He had no confidence in his shot. No, Like, he just did not want the ball. He didn't want to be out there. There were moments where it was like, we may as well have Peyton Pritchard instead of him on the floor. Then he came back the next year. You know, he kind of redesigned his shot, was a lot more confident. But it was sort of like we had Marcus Smart and we had Malcolm Brogdon. And it was sort of like, you know, Missoula as a first-year head coach didn't have the guts to bench Smart when he really should have. Now we've gotten rid of them. 
At the time, it was all the lost heart and soul and everything. Now it's Marcus who, really, because Derek White has just done much better than what Marcus was in the last few years. His shot selection is way better. His shooting percentages are through the roof. Every time he shoots the ball, I'm, I think it's going to go in. Except for yesterday against the Raptors when he took a step back three against Gary Trent with a second on the shot clock and it just drained right in. And I, you know, He's exhilarating to watch. And it's almost as if hitting that buzzer beater last year in the playoffs just gave him the confidence. And I'm actually going to zag a bit and surprise you. I don't know if he really does deserve to be an all-star just because of how stacked the guards are in the, exactly. in the West and East. Obviously, he only has to compete against the East, but there's just so many good guards. Um... If there's a few injuries, then he should be that next man up. But look, he's going to be an all-defensive uh, guard. He's going to be one of the most improved players in the league. And uh, he's just a joy. He's a joy to watch. And I'm so glad he's on our team. And I mean, Brad Stevens, if he's not winning executive of the year, I, I don't know who is because he's redesigned this whole team for next to nothing. Tom, we might transition to your noteworthy news from the week. It's about the Clippers, but I just wanted to pause for a second. My phone's been blowing up the last 60 seconds. Apparently, LeBron James hit a three yeah. against the Timberwolves to tie the game with two seconds left, but the refs have caught his foot on the line. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you can tell. I've got it on a screen next to me, and I've, I've had a massive smile on my face for the last 30 seconds because they've had the monitor on the court side, and LeBron has literally just walked up to it and pointed and started shouting at the refs and everything. <laughs> And there's a little gap. You can tell. They zoom right in. And they're like, nah, inconclusive, inconclusive. So I saw LeBron lose his mind against my Celtics last season. Anytime he has a little bit of a sook, it's just enjoyable. It's good fun. The NBA wins when it happens. So definitely go and watch it after uh, we record. But no, I'm going to talk about the other LA team because they've sort of turned things around since I was last on the show where I was basically mocking them and saying they're not a threat. Um, and, you know, after a poor start to the Harden era, they, they, rattled, they rattled off nine straight wins, which included victories against Denver, Kings, Warriors twice, and the Mavs. And, you know, out of nowhere, it was, we need to start taking this team seriously. Um, but for me, I'm still going to zag on this one a bit. I After they won their ninth in a row, Kawhi missed their, their game, the next game with a hip injury and was supposedly day-to-day. And now that's turned into day, today, 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 today. And now he's missed about four games in a row. uh, And he hasn't even been cleared to practice yet, despite being listed as questionable on the last injury report, which I think is insane. How do you not be able to practice, but apparently you're questionable to play? We'll see. Um, And while it was the best stretch of the games he's played since he's come to the Clippers, it's clear his body can't hold up. So how is he going to last in a playoff run? I don't know. And in those four games he's missed, they played the Hornets and the Grizzlies at home and got pretty easy wins against them. But then they got blown out by the Thunder and the Celtics just tore them to shreds without pausing us. And I watched them earlier in the month, just before they went on this uh, nine-game win streak in Golden State. And while it was also before Draymond's second suspension, you could see that the Clippers are just still vulnerable on defense, Uh, especially Harden. He was literally letting guys just walk right by him to the hoop. And look, we saw this in Brooklyn. When the going is good and Harden is happy, his team looks like a contender. However, the moment something goes wrong, it's just freefall. And yeah. it's I, I think it's going to happen again. I, I think someone's, you know, I mean, we've seen Kawhi get injured. How long until Harden's hamstring plays up again because he's having to play too many minutes to get all through this? Or Paul George goes, you know, 0 for 10 in a second half and just completely blows it. I, I just... I can't buy into this Clippers team and I will refuse to. And it's also just worth noting that between Harden, Paul George and Westbrook, 
they have some of the most notable playoff jokers in the league. So are, are they really going to be that scary in the playoffs? I mean, if I'm being really honest, the only thing that would make them less scary to me right now in the postseason was if they added Embiid to the roster. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no comments? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Do you want to talk about Aaron Gordon getting bit by a dog on Christmas Day and getting 20-something stitches? He'll probably miss three to four weeks at a minimum. Or Lonzo Ball, Chicago Bulls, publishing today that they expect him to return to running this January. It's been two years, hasn't it? Which one do you want to pick, Yuri? Let's go Lonzo, Alex. Hey? I think it's been a long time. Jan 14, 2022 was his last game. They donned on the Chicago Bulls jersey, and there's been it's been well-documented, right, with his knee pain struggles and that and him really struggling to really get off the floor and sort of walk in the way too. It's been it's been grueling for him and I think for so much hype as well since, of course, when he was drafted back in 2017 with the second overall pick and the expectation. But his when the Chicago Bulls were up and going, right, those seasons go back in 21-22, they had the best record in the East. They were 39-21 and at one point as well. They basically had the best record going into the All-Star break, right? And then he goes out and they really hit a skid, right? They end up winning 46 games still, but I think they end up losing about 17, no, was it 15 of their last 22 regular season games to drop from top of the East down to the sixth seed and then get swept by the Bucks. I think losing five, I'm pretty sure, against the Bucks in the first round series. And you think, well, he's probably going to come back the following season, right? And unfortunately, a few more setbacks with his knee and just not be able to be out in the court and I think it's been the biggest thing with the Bulls as well is that floor general like we spoke about a a couple of segments ago right with the Phoenix Suns that's what they've been lacking too they've sort of had to really put the responsibilities on DeMar DeRozan who's averaging about I think 5.5 assists five and a half assists a game this season even though his assist to turnover ratio is really good though Alex so he's only coughing it up about one and a half 1.6 times per game which is exceptional in today's league but going back to Lonzo and what he brings as well, that whole shooting mechanics, right? Remember at the start of his career when he didn't, his shooting form was a little bit out of place, right? He needed to really fix his mechanics, and he did that. And his whole three-point shot got so much better. His jump shot looked way more fluid. And it was something within that he had this confidence, I think, within himself to really take on sort of adjusting his shooting action because – that's not easy to do. It's like Markel Fultz, right, with the Orlando Magic and some people saying that his shot was basically broken. He basically had a shoulder issue. That was the problem, though, with him. He wasn't able to knock down free throws on a consistent basis. His jump shot was all all over the place. But Lonzo didn't have a shoulder issue of that. It was just his shooting action. And we've seen players in NBA history have very unorthodox shooting actions, right? Sean Marion, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, where he basically puts his arms and his elbows like here, right? And he shoots like that, which is so unusual. And there's other players we can name, right? I think Carlos Boozer, his shooting action was, you could say, a bit unorthodox because he had so much of an arc on his jumper. But it depends on the player and how comfortable they are with a jump shot. But when you need to make adjustments like what Lonzo's done then and really capitalise on it, then it's all well and good. So I think the big part as well, once he does get running, is sort of the next steps on what the Bulls do to really sort of hopefully 
get him back and up and running for the start of next season. That's the target, right? He won't be back this season, but next season in the lead up to training camp and how much prep and how his body feels, especially his knees, right? Because when you have multiple surgeries, there's a lot of doubt and that's probably going to be the biggest thing internally to really overcome. But if anyone can do it, he can. And he's a pretty well-spoken, modest young guy. When you listen to a lot of his interviews and when he speaks, right, he's pretty well measured. So that's a big part and really a smile to the face for all Chicago Bulls fans because, right, why are they now 16 and 19 on the season or something? They've absolutely mm. at least turned their season around, although they're in the playing spot. But the way, say, if the Knicks stumble or the Pacers stumble or even, mm. say, the Cavaliers who currently occupy the East 6th seed with, I think, an 18 and 14 record, they sort of hear skid various times here and there. So, you never know. It's very unpredictable the way it is with the Eastern Conference standings and just the way they sort of had to endure right the last couple of years, and especially him. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, we'd love to just see a Hornets game versus a Bulls game where you see both balls on the court. It would be fantastic, Lamelo and Lonzo. So hopefully he's back soon. Uh, I reckon we should jump into our performances of the week because there were some ripper performances over the last week when it came to the NBA. So many to choose from. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton getting 20 assists twice out of the last four or five games unbelievable how he's just getting so many assists it's ridiculous um maybe tom we'll start with yours who do you have as your performance of the week yeah i've got sga yesterday against the nuggets you know 40 points four rebounds three assists 14 and 20 from the field two of three from three 10 out of 10 from the line he only played 33 minutes he was a plus 21 they absolutely blew out the Nuggets, which is rare you see that happen in Denver. And, and this was an MVP statement game, and might have been a little bit of a message to to Sam Presti to sort of you know pick up those phones, make up a few trade calls because this team is legit. They're ready to contend, not not next year, not five years now. They are ready to take over now, especially after that performance. And, you know, I know that Denver were missing a couple, but it's impressive. And this guy, he's an MVP candidate, and you know. You could really make the debate that he has probably been the best player this year, and I look forward to watching him every every game that I can. Thirty-one point four points per game he's averaging. That's unbelievable. Yuri, what was your performance of the week? Yeah, had Andre Drummond's monster game, right? That we talked about earlier, twenty-four points and twenty-five rebounds in their win over the Atlanta Hawks, and that's he's still got a spot right in this league, even at thirty years of age. He's still really springy, right? And I think we don't need to talk about what happens when the ball goes through the hoop and he doesn't want to inbound the ball. Have you seen that over the years, right, where <laughs> you just see the ball, no, nope, I'll walk to the other end of the court. But no, not not this game, though, and not the one today. And they win over the 76ers, which he had the 15 points and 23 rebounds. It's just everywhere where I think on, especially the offensive rebounding, where he's just able to really anticipate where the ball is going to fall as well and really mm. get himself in the right spots and box out and be super physical down low. Like, the Bulls aren't going to run, of course, offensive players. Detroit never did that with him, right? But it's his whole different sort of sort of tendencies within the offensive end, which sort of really instills a lot of fear, I think, especially when going up for rebounds too. Like, it was the same case with Reggie Evans. Reggie Evans never had an offensive game, but opposition teams would fear him. Even at six foot eight and two hundred and forty five pounds, which is a little bit undersized for a power forward, uh, what was a, a probably decade ago, nine years ago, when Reggie Evans was last in the league, and teams, multiple players were asked about Reggie Evans and about his rebounding, and most were pretty 
fearful every time they went up against him because he'll throw his weight around. It's the same thing with Drummond, right? And the whole difference is, right, with Drummond and Vucevic. Vucevic is a, a very good rebounder too, but Drummond will grab you five, six offensive rebounds a game like what I did with Detroit, right? And even at the start of that 2015-16 season where he was just having 20.20 rebound games. He had, like, one game against Indiana of, like, I think it was 27 points and 29 rebounds, some stat line like that. And you just look at that be like, that's just mind-boggling. But that's him, though. He just quietly goes about it. Even today against the 76ers early, I think the first period, he had like eight yeah. rebounds alone. Yeah, So Spot on. he was pretty much swallowing up like a cookie monster. And <laughs> that's what I think it's going to really help Chicago, right? For whatever how long Vucevic is out for with that injury, is the rebounding, they're going to be right in it because... They'll play him 35-plus minutes. Billy Donovan plays his starters heavy minutes. So you see yeah. every log sheet, right, of Chicago Bulls games, all the starters play 30-plus minutes, and the bench barely gets a rep in. So that's going to be something to really look out for too. And speaking of which as well, that game, right, going up against Onyeko Kanwu as well, and pretty sure Clint Capella was playing in that game too. But to really throw his weight around against Capella, who's like mm. one of the best offensive rebounding guys too in the league as well, he really outdid him, and I think it's a real upside for what sort of Bulls fans and probably a lot of people on social media have sort of commented on about Drummond's minutes and why he isn't getting enough playing time. Well, we know the answer now with him being in his sort of usual spot being the starter that he can still produce those big, insane numbers. A little ironic because I think it was last week's podcast that Yuri and I were talking about Drummond and does he have the ability to be a starting centre and then after that podcast, he got his opportunity and he delivered with two big games. So, yeah, that's um, and, and interesting enough as a, as a better, which a couple of us are in this group. You look at the lines and you see like Andre Drummond's uh, rebounding line was at sixteen and a half rebounds, and you're going, "Geez, I should take the under on that." Like, how is he going to get seventeen rebounds against the Sixers? And then you see he's on nine rebounds in eight minutes, and it's like, "Oh gosh, he's doing it again." So, just unbelievable how he does it. I love uh, players who know how to rebound the ball, and this Cantor is another one that comes to mind. But yeah, that's Tom and Yuri's performance of the. Week. I'm going to go with Wemby for mine. 24 minutes he did this. Um, 30 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists and 7 blocks in 24 minutes in your first season, if you don't mind. That for me was performance of the week. I've returned just in time to give my contributions to performance of the week. Thanks for taking the reins there, Jules. Um, twice this week, have you spoken about any of this? I'm just going to start talking about Tyrese Halliburton. He had the two 20-point, 20 20-assist games. Did we mention that already? Okay, I'm just going to skip all of this. Go ahead, Jules. You've got hosting no, reins. No. Please take us home. No, we, we, did, we did sort of briefly say that he had two 20-assist games, but we didn't actually break it down. So, yeah, we'd love to hear about that. I, I didn't get to watch the first one. I, I watched a bit against the Knicks today, and I was just saying, like, most players are point guards. See, I look up this thing. The NBA has a passing advanced statistics where you look up the potential assists that a player gets. And usually, like, a, a who's a decent point guard? Like, a Trey Young might, might get about 15 or 16 potential assists a game. So he might get 12 assists, but he had the potential to get 15 or 16. But Halliburton is hitting, like, 24, 25 potential assists a game. Like, how is he setting up that many shots? It's just unbelievable. So, yeah, floor is yours, Alex. No, that was it. You nailed it. I was looking into the potential assists this week. He had that 20-point, 20-assist game, zero turnover, and I went, yeah, right, I'm, this guy might yeah, be all wow. right. It's unbelievable. Another, another, sorry, another one where you look at the overs and unders and go, how is he going to hit 13 assists a game? And then he's on he eight within a quarter, and it's like, well, this is just unbelievable. Do you think sooner or later Tyrese Halliburton's going to break Scott Scarles' assist record of 30? I reckon sooner than later he will. 
they they score enough Indiana to push the pace. I mean, how many times have they scored 140, 145 this year? So it's in the cards. Um, 30 would be a lot. Dude, that's I mean, you think quarter. about it. Yeah, that's it, the way they shoot threes, that's 65 to 80 points he's providing for a single team without scoring. So it's a big effort. Uh, Jules, just take us home. Let's figure out your stat line of the week. If we haven't got there already or things we want to leave behind this year. Yeah, I, I um no, I haven't mentioned it yet. I wanted to use Cade in something today because I enjoyed watching his performances. Um, he's definitely lifted his game after I got stuck into him in a few episodes ago saying that he looked lifeless and soulless out there, which I did believe. And I think now there's a bit of life back in the team and they have a bit of belief. So I'm going to go his game against the Celtics. Even though they didn't win that game, they forced it to overtime. He had 31 points, six rebounds, nine assists, three steals and two blocks. Um, so did something in every single category, which is what I look for. So yeah, great game from Cade. You're a Cade believer now, Alex. I am. The last week and a half has done it to me. Um, the first 24 games in this losing streak, didn't believe. The last four, he's, he's made me a believer. Um, that 40-point outing he had, I think it was the second game against Brooklyn, where he had 37 in the second half. Um, yeah. I watched that entire game, and he, he was okay in the first. That second half, it was like, okay, this is what it's like when Jason Tatum takes over a game. This is Cade bullying, getting to the rim for difficult shots, setting up teammates. Um yeah, look, unfortunate Jack's not here so we can give him the smallest amount of flowers and a little bit of hope for the future. Um, but I am very looking forward to watching Cade play the rest of the year. Do you think they start to win a few more now that they've got this one? Because they're not, like like he said, they're not 2-26 and 26 bad as a team. I think teams lifted because they didn't want to be, as Kyle Kuzma said, they didn't want to be that team that lost to them. So they were all lifting. So I think now they could potentially go on a bit of a run. Maybe not. I'm not sure. I think from memory, they've got a tough stretch coming up after yeah, today's so game. I might just look it up quickly. They've got a West Coast guys. trip coming up. Yeah, they could very well go another. I know the Jazz are playing American. Golden State as part of that West Coast trip yeah, by memory, too. too. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, they're not the Golden same Warriors, hey? Suck at the moment. <laughs> oh, there was a report that saw they- the mini report, I think, about. About the Detroit Pistons and them wanting to target like Miles Bridges and Pascal Siakam and Tobias Harris. That's what I was going to get to. Like, Pascal Siakam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just get a, a little bit of a rental and see if you can make something happen. So this is who the Pistons play next. Um, they got the Rockets on January second. The Rockets have been good. Uh, maybe get a win back over the Jazz. Then they've got the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Kings. Then the Spurs might be a winnable game. Um, in a week and Utah's a half been playing really well though they've won 7 of the last 10 and beat Miami today yeah yeah you're right and then if after the Spurs they get the Rockets again then the Wizards and the Wizards aren't very good but then they play the Wolves and the Bucks twice before they get the Hornets so if they don't win against the Rockets or the Jazz it's a rough stretch okay let's just mm. end the show uh, this is the last segment is things we want to leave behind in 2023 I've dropped out of this Zoom call like six times so far. So for me, it's I'm leaving behind my internet in 2023. Um, <laughs> I can't. This is just ridiculous today. Uh, Tom, anything you want to leave behind this year? I, I just want to leave behind the, the prolonged and just tedious video replays. I'm getting a bit sick of 12-minute quarters going for 45 to an hour. You know, the other day, you know, on the Christmas Day games, uh, you know, I was watching the Celtics Lakers game, and there was about five minutes left in the quarter. And you know, my sister asked, "Oh, how long until halftime?" And I said, "Well, could be about six minutes, could be about forty-five minutes. We'll see. We just need to cut them out. I'm, I'm getting so fed up with them. And let's 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 fix it. We can fix this, surely. We've we've had it for four years now. Let's let's get these challenges moving a bit quicker, please." 
Yuri? Yeah, give defences more of a chance, man, because we've seen free-throw numbers absolutely skyrocket. I think every single call, every single ticky-tack is being called by the referees, and teams are just waltzing to the free-throw line, and even teams are getting into the penalty early, the bonus early, with like seven, eight minutes left in the quarter, and just it's free-throw parade galore. Hopefully that really does get reduced because we don't want to see games combining for 265, 270 points a game. That's boring to watch. On a nightly basis, you're just thinking, well, it's almost, you can almost make an all-star game of this right now. You can almost make the Harlem Globetrotters out of the contest. So let's just bring a little bit more equality back for defenders, right? That's the big thing because it does go a bridge too far when it's all favouring the offensive player. That's all. Jules, what do you want to leave behind in 2023? And then you've done a great job hosting while I've been not here. You can take us home. No, no, I can't top your outro, but I will say what I'm going to leave behind. I'm going to leave behind Jacques Vaughan and the Nets in my prop bets. I think that head coach just changes <laughs> around that lineup so much and he does things where you think you're on and then in the fourth quarter, he'll leave off a player for the whole quarter just because he feels like Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neill need an extra minute, 10 minutes or something. So I'm not going to bet on them anymore. Nick Claxton is the only one who delivers every single game on his rebounds, but I've had enough of the Nets and Jacques Vaughan. It's funny you mention that. The only time I'll ever bet on the Nets is Macau Bridges over 20 points every game. I won't touch anything else on that team. <laughs> it's very frustrating. All right. nice <laughs> yeah, that's it for, uh, you know, it might have sounded like a great edition of the show. I think I missed about 20 minutes trying to get back into the call. My computer shut down at one point, but let's leave all that in the past. It's a new year tomorrow. New us. Uh, thank you for joining us. Feel free to leave us a four-star review. I'm not sure we deserved a five-star one today for today's performance. Uh, thanks, Yuri. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jules. See you next year. Cheers, Alex. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.